course I wanted to finish, but my priority wasn't placing. I wanted to retrain my nervous system to not be stressed out in a race environment. And so I wanted to experience more ease and more pleasure. And it worked out. I was so relaxed. That was Sarah Seeds. And this is episode 135 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. In this episode, we welcome Sarah Seeds back to the show. She is one of my closest friends and was one of our first guests on the show in episode four. In that 2020 episode, she talked about tackling her year of fears. And in this one, she shares the experiences and wisdom she has gained from her year of following my heart. Sarah has completely redefined herself over the last few years, and it is hard to put a label on her. Once a tree planter, forest firefighter, kinesiologist, a personal trainer, she is also now a clinical hypnotherapist, yoga and meditation teacher, and mind-body coach. An accomplished endurance athlete at all distances who has coached athletes for over 20 years, she is also a creative entrepreneur with a vision to help everyone excel at the game of life. Sarah is one of the most interesting and powerful women you will ever meet, and we are thrilled to have her back on the show to talk about, well, you'll just have to keep listening. So, Miss Sarah Seeds, welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast for a second time. It's so great to have you on the show again. Wow. Hi, guys. It is so great to see you. I cannot believe how much time has passed. We have some serious catching up to do. Yes, we do. <laughs> you are one of a, just a few, handful of repeat guests. So welcome back. Excited Ooh, to I talk to you. Privileged and honored. Thanks, guys. Yeah, as mentioned, we heard from you way back, like, it's got to be two and a half years ago now, episode four, you were one of our very first guests. And um, we are definitely going to dive into the then and now of where you are at now. But let's just immediately go to for those people who never heard of you who don't know who you are. Why don't you give us a little bit of a high level view of who is Sarah Seeds? Where are you coming to us from? And what are you doing now? Yeah. Okay. Let's zoom out. Hello from planet earth. I'm in Cumberland on Vancouver Island on the West coast of Canada. And wow. Um, how do you sum it up? I'm a kinesiologist and a coach and primarily for the past 25 years, I've been coaching athletes, you know, from recreational to rehab to lifestyle, adventure, health, wellness, and um, in the last few years, that switched to life coaching as well. So combining my new loves and passions, well, my old love for mental training, but new skill set as a hypnotherapist, uh, a mind-body practitioner, working with mindfulness, meditation, breath work, etc. So merging all those things now, and we'll get into what's been going on over the last few years, but I am after a bit of a hiatus, returning to um, full-time offering programs and services that combine mental and physical training for athletes, adventurers, and humans playing what I call the game of life. So it doesn't have to be sport related, but it's a beautiful playground to train, you know, the power of our mind and, 
and our intuition and, and work on personal growth. So it crosses over quite nicely. What a great summary. Yes. So we are going to dive a little bit deeper into all of that. Um, in our last episode, we had you on, like I said, fourth episode. This was like October of 2020. Like you were one of our virgin guests. Um, and it was so great to talk to you about what you were experiencing at that time, which was your year of fears. And anybody that wants to listen, please go back, listen to episode four. Sarah sees she talks about some of the amazing things that she did to overcome some of the fears that she had with regards to um, cold and, and, you know, obstacle course racing and doing some different races that really challenged her in ways that she wouldn't normally. Sarah, I'm going to ask you a massively open-ended question that you can do with what you will. What has happened since then? <laughs> oh, my I mean, thank you for granting me the space to explore that topic. And I just imagine anyone listening, thinking, trying to sum that up, you know, since 2020, COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we were, we were there. You, you girls were, you know, everyone did something different in COVID. You guys were like, let's start a podcast. You know, so many <laughs> different things happen and you crushed it and still going. And I think some of us went underground in areas. Some of us were launched into our next level places. And most of us probably it's a combination or somewhere in between. So I, honestly, I've been around the world and back, literally, been to many places. Um, but the biggest transition and the biggest journeys and adventures have been in the inner world and in the inner lands. So I took a real deep dive with personal growth, development. Um, I wouldn't say I switched careers, but I closed my in-person business, ELM, Equilibrium Lifestyle Management, which I had for 20 years. And at the same time, my long-term relationship of 19 years ended. And I decided to take a break from in-person work because I, I did really want to transition to have more flexibility and be online. COVID sped that up. Mm -hmm. You were already very much heading that way pre-COVID. Exactly. It was a long-term vision. And I really, you know, I kind of ran out of options once COVID happened. And so I made that exit. I remember taking down my diplomas, my, my framed items off my office wall where I was practicing as a hypnotherapist and and uh, there was a real meltdown happening with my inner child you know the ego voice just like oh my god what are we doing but I made the big leap and um, and I decided to take a year a year's break where I just continued working with my online clients and I closed the business let my staff go and decided to move on to a new adventure and I gave myself a buffer and that's when I I switched from the year of fears to the year of following my heart in 2021 mm. and it, it turned out to be quite a radical experiment but I figured you know after 20 years in business this is my time you know this the world was absolute mayhem and this was my time and and so the um the real drive from that was wanting to take that opportunity, take that break, because I knew I was going to be transitioning into something new in my career, in my life. And also, I really wanted to get in touch with my inner 
wisdom and my inner knowing, my truth. Mm-hmm. I had never relied on my intuition. I like I not consciously, I didn't have a relationship with that. I had only thought of intuition as like an emergency response, like you know, that instinct that would save your life almost. Mm-hmm. And it had. There'd been, you know, we all have those those moments in our life where we're so glad those we listen to those spidey senses. But that was like, I just wanted to find my truth. And so it became this wild experiment. And I called it my heart, but really it's that, it's that whisper inside versus the chaos of the, you know, the monkey mind that's rattling around there barking orders. It's that, it's really quiet at first. That subtle, it almost always stays subtle, but it's that Mm -hmm. inner knowing. And so the whole year I committed to, to ignoring my brain, my mind, and just listening to my heart. And that took me on a wild ride. Yeah. Okay. Well, that almost sounds very scary. Like to, to somebody listening, that might sound like a year of fears plus, 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 right? 2.0, 3.0, because I hear that my year of following my heart. And I think practically, what does that even look like? Especially in the midst of COVID when could you travel somewhere? What if your heart wanted to go to another place physically? Is that even safe to do? So talk to us about like you gave yourself kind of a year but I think I understand that it went on a little bit longer, maybe even than a year. So your heart wanted more. <laughs> you know, all along, I kind of deep down knew it was a trick for my mind, right? Like right. I was like, I'm pretty sure I'm just going to learn to listen to my intuition and live that way for the rest of my life. But the like, I really believe in setting parameters for what I call mind games because the mind will chill. It wants to know, okay, we're only doing this for a year. The rebellion is much less because the ego mind, you know, it's like a set point theory. It wants to keep you where you're at. And if Mm -hmm. you try to expand or stretch beyond that, it's evolutionary. It wants to keep you there, understandable. But sometimes we're ready to to move on. And these little games and tricks or hacks can be really powerful ways. So I I said Mm -hmm. to myself, it's one year. And I like doing things in little, I'm a big experimenter, but there has to be an end, right? Like parameters. And I thought, I remember saying like, how far, like how much in debt can I go? First of all, I'd sold my house, sold my house, quit my job. Serious business. Wow. I don't think I knew the extent of this. Yeah. Well, it, it sold me. It's a long story, but we, (laughs) we, I had, you know, I was free and, um, I just really wanted to go for it. And so, but I really appreciate how you, your initial response, Carolyn was, that sounds scary. Because it's absolutely terrifying. And to the outside world, I mean, I remember thinking it was my dream. It's great if it's somebody else doing it. But at the moment it's you, mm-hmm. it becomes your worst nightmare. I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. It's going to be so wonderful. It took me five months. It took me until May. Like I started in January. It took me in May to actually go, Sarah, if you're going to do this, have a good time. Like I beat myself up for five months. You know, all those stories, those fears came up you're worthless, you're going to end up broke, you know, all the, just the mm-hmm. crazy mind. It wants to bring up all those limiting beliefs, limiting beliefs. And, and um, like we value so much, like being in your nine to five, or I had a lot of really deep egoic, you know, really strong sense of who I was. So yeah, it was scary. Um, but I definitely learned the surrender when you commit, if, there, if there's ways you can hack it to have fun, like put parameters on it when you're setting these, you know, exploratory adventures, it definitely can help chill the mind. And, you know, I said, 
it's only a year. I'll write a book about it one day, like Eat, Pray, Love. That helped. <laughs> <laughs> Did you write a book? Oh, well, that's my plan. Oh, you! I haven't even heard any of the adventure. And I'm like, you should write a book about this. Because even just all of what you just said, it's like, who would listen to those fears for five months, right? And still be able to stay in it. So like practically what kind of tools did you have in place or skills did you learn along the way that helped you go oh thanks ego like thanks limiting belief like oh that's a limiting belief like I, I didn't you might not have even realized I'm those calling you on it let's move beyond yeah right right because mm-hmm. a lot of us can't stay with it for for that long so mm-hmm. how did that evolve for you I guess over the course of of the time that you were away. Yeah. Well, I sense your curiosity, which is wonderful because we all have that, yeah, tendency to like hear it and then revert, you know, there, there, some of the other deep patterns we've had developed as a survival way as a child. So luckily I have knowledge as a hypnotherapist, you know, I understand and, you know, you do as well, what you are and what the ego is and the thoughts. Sometimes it's hard to separate them, but at least you have the, the foundation Second, you know, well, I have a skill set, a lot of tools, but I'm also a really big experimenter. I love the game. Like, Mm. remember, probably I mentioned it before, like, that's why I love ultras is it's the biggest mind game there is. Like, I, it's great to go out and, and work your body. And I love being out there physically. But what really turns me on is like, hey, it's not necessarily about being the most physiologically adept. You have to be able to play the mind game. Absolutely. So I like the game. Um, and, and then having the hacks, like putting timelines on things. Yeah, I like but Carol, that. I love how you said you were so gentle with your ego. You, you know, you said right there, you're like, Oh, yeah, I see you. You know what, that actually works the best in the end. It's compassion. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we have to learn that the hard way because we're raised that way, you know, like, tough culture. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It backfires. And so in the end, it's actually self-love, self-compassion for that part of you, like as if mm-hmm. it's a child, because that's where it comes from, our mm-hmm. childhoods. And by just letting it be seen and sending that part of you or you loving kindness, it ends up evolving and, dis- mm-hmm. and dissolving. But there's also, you know, once you're through the, the worst of the limiting belief and you know you've you know, you've gotten past and it's almost just a habit now. It's almost like a parrot in your mind, but it doesn't, you're not owned. Then there's so many funny games I played. Like, you know, we're trained to kind of hang the mind on a hook when we want to like get to the deeper subconscious or like put it in another room. Sometimes I put my mind in like a, imagine it's out in a trampoline in one of those, like just having a hissy fit on a trampoline while I'm (laughs) focusing on doing what I need to do. Um, once my mind like because the subconscious gives you symbols to represent things that's how the mind works in dreams as well and I remember seeing the the ego represented by Danny DeVito do not ask me but it was like Danny DeVito and one time I was like okay Danny you're going on vacation you know it's a fun game to play I put him in a pool on a floaty toy and then I could just listen to my intuition and my heart and I was like you're on holidays like crazy brain so there's different phases, but you can make it really fun. Like once you've come to terms with if there is a deep limiting, you know, rooted belief that you want to share compassion with. So lots of fun experiments. Oh my goodness. Okay. 
DeVito on a floaty toy in a pool. I'm going to have to work on that imagery. Um, I, I know you well, Sarah, but I would not have guessed that. So anyways, you mentioned, okay, so we're going to definitely dig deeper into some of these tools that you mentioned that you use to... Um, um, manage your thoughts. I was going to say control your mind, but that's not true. It's manage your thoughts. Um, but you did mention a little bit about ultras and how they are a bit of a game. And let's just take a moment to step into what you've done for races in the last few years. So you and I, I, a little backstory for our listeners. We met decades ago and we, Sarah got me into running ultras way back more than 10 years ago. And we made a pact that when one of us got into Western States, the other one would be there to crew or support them no matter what. Oh, the hardest moment of my life was when Sarah Seeds got into Western States in July. Well, it was June of 2021 and it was still COVID peak time in Canada and I couldn't be there to support you, but you went, my kick-ass friend, you went and you did Western States in a, I will call it peri-COVID period. Like it was still happening, but it wasn't. And you went without a host of crew. You went with somebody that was definitely very, very instrumental. Um, you did have a crew member, but it wasn't a posse for sure. Um, in a unique kind of setting. So not only that, but you also then the next year completed Sinister 7 100 milers. So two 100 milers back to back. Western States was your very first. Talk to us a little bit about all of that, you know, what doing Western States was like, what you learned from it, and then what you took with you into the next one. Mm, okay. So I guess I, like, I would love to take the listeners on like what it was like to be at States because we hear about it all the time and you go there and it's like, I'm here, like I'm really here. So I'm, I'm remembering some scenes, you know, when we got there and it was Brian from Texas. Shout out to Brian Ellert from Texas who drove across the country, <laughs> drove across the country to crew me because, yeah, or to, to run with me because because everything, the whole plan fell apart. No one could go. And I got there, you know, on a wing and a prayer, honestly, because of all the regulations. It was two weeks before the race that I booked my flight and my accommodations, I didn't know until two weeks before. And I had to manage that anxiety, like, you know, and, and stay in the present place and not get attached to going in case I couldn't, but also be excited to go. So it was a good practice. But um, when I got there, I mean, Brian knew everybody, you know, it'd be like you girls being there, like, you know, all everyone who's who. And so he was filling me in because I don't follow quite as much. And I got to meet some really, you know, just yeah, just his friends there and the community and all of us, I, the energy I felt was so sparkling and so exciting and so fresh beyond it just being Western States. We were out of the gates, like everyone had been locked down and I was one of the first people I knew to be traveling internationally. Mm -hmm. So I decided I was going to tell the world I was going and get everyone involved versus like, you know, just kind of like shuffling down there. And I know there's a lot of people following along that couldn't go. And so really, you could feel this additional crisp excitement. Same with I know they have classic fans that line the streets they're famous for, but I believe the energy was like, super dosed because they, we hadn't been able to do it. 
And so just being at Race Central, being a part of that, they do, you know, little photos and interviews at the starts and, and you're getting your Western States bib and running around. We got actually kicked off the ski hill there because we weren't supposed to be running around there for, our, that was pretty funny. I was got in trouble at the, at the Western States, but um, just exploring. And then, um, yeah, the race itself was magical and I mean, I was just high from the start because it was like getting out of jail, you know, it was getting out of the gate and having the celebration run that all of us, mm -hmm. you know, none of us knew what was going to happen. And it just almost brings me to tears thinking about the amount of joy I felt just to be in the race. Like just being there was the gift. Mm -hmm. um, lots happened. It turned out to be quite the challenging adventure. It was the heat bubble and was, yeah. my feet ripped off basically the Blisters were so bad because I had a hard time getting getting shoes. Remember, I don't know if you remember all the difficulty with shoe orders, and no. I delayed it to the point where I didn't have a big enough pair of shoes. You know how big our feet get during these ultras, yep. and so I didn't have that larger size shoe with me, and I just was like, "I'm just there. I'm just gonna wing it." I didn't even comprehend the damage that could do. So between that and the worst heart bout of heartburn I ever had in my life, it was the most physical pain I've ever endured in my life, like period. Um, but we did it. We got her done. I think you that was 28 and a half hours or 20. Yeah. Yes. She got sub 30. Uh, you finished. I was following along oh, with a morbid curiosity, a bit of grief, a bit of celebration, the biggest fan ever, but you finished. And that was your, again, in case you guys missed it, her very first 100 miler was Western States. Now, Sarah's a very accomplished ultra runner. She's run countless 100Ks, 50Ks, 50 milers, but had not quite done the 100 miler distance yet. Um, so I figured, so all along, Sarah, you had kind of told me, I'm, I'm in the Western States lottery, but I really don't want to do a 100 miler. And I'm like, well, why are you in the lottery? She's like, what states? Like, who can't do states? But I really don't want to do a 100 miler. You ended up doing it. And then, shock of all shocks, mm -hmm. the next year, you signed up for the Sinister 700 miler in Alberta, very near to my house. And I'm like, okay, you didn't want to do the first. You did it. It wasn't the most angelic experience ever why are you coming back for the second so tell us about that why sinister seven <laughs> yeah you were pretty surprised so was i i was never the only one i was ever going to do was that that's why there was no way i was doing a hundred miler qualifier like for a hundred miler because i was only i i you know i anticipated <laughs> severe damage like I want to give up two months of my life recovering. Like I, I love running. It's my passion, but I was like, I'm doing it once and I'm only doing the States. Yeah. Right. So I only did hundred K's as my qualifiers. And I went down that rabbit hole. What was it like five or seven, seven years in the end? Cause I had a head injury and I lost spots in the lottery. And then I had to start again, you know, to build the tickets. And, um, when I met people there that have done many, more years than I had though. Like that was the talk of the town in the race. Everyone's saying, Oh, how many tickets did you have? Right. Everyone's sharing <laughs> their stories. Um, but you know, it went so, I don't want to say abysmal, like terrible, but I knew it could be so much better. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's not really, you know, at the end of the race, okay, this is kind of 
funny in, in a morbid way. And I know there's a lot of runners who can relate listening, but at the end of the race, like I couldn't walk. So my feet were macerated, you know, the skin from the sweat and the heat, they had, it had bubbled and ripped off and it wasn't a blister. It was a raw foot. Yeah. And so halfway through the race, the foot medics did take me up and told me, I said, I'm not going on if I'm doing permanent damage. They said, no, no, you're not. We'll tape you up. So I just, that's, that's how I could go. Right. But at the end, you know, you take off your shoes. <laughs> oh God. And, um, even Brian was tired cause I was doing the slowest back half on the planet and he had to pace me through that and his feet were pretty trash, but we were both kind of grumpy. We'll say at that point. And the, um, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't stick around too long, but the medic said, you know, you're seven days for sure until these heal and you can walk properly again. I was like, great. So Brian picks me up. I remember getting in the van. I was like, this is disgusting. Who would do this to their body? I remember I said that to him. He was horrified. We're looking at my feet. We're like, this is disgusting. What human would do this? Never again. And then we had to book more extra time at the Airbnb because I couldn't walk. We couldn't go on our vacation, right? We were going to tour around. And, but then I used this Beamer device, which mm-hmm. I, Kim knows about. It's a pulsated electromagnetic field therapy. And basically my feet super healed and within 48 hours, everything was closed. And within seven days I was doing like 10 mile runs fast. I've never done that. I did a 10 mile run, I'll say on day seven, pushing hard. Like, you know, you can feel your muscles feel good. I've never felt like that after like even a 50 K or a hundred. So yeah, I wasn't going that fast in the run, but I expected after a hundred miler that I'd be out for weeks if not months yeah so we got to enjoy our vacation and and I was like wow this if I can recover this fast I'm gonna do another one and I'm gonna do it better (laughs) and so we did another one my first 100 miler was the most humbling demoralizing experience of my life and I had to do another one to prove I could do it better so I totally get that. Carolyn, I know you felt that with, with any distance you've ever done. Um, okay. So the very next year, why did you choose mm. seven and what were you hoping to, for lack of a better word, prove there? Well, nothing to prove. Um, I was on my deep in my intuition journey and so I would go by feel, right? I try to tune in and like hang the mind up on a hook and say, listen inside what feels right. And for some reason, I wanted to be in the Canadian mountains. And I just felt that that was going to be the the one. And it wasn't fat dog calling me. And so we don't have, you know, that many other options. So that one really called me. And you know what it was? Because I had, we haven't touched on this, but I had lived in a bus. I, I That was part of my year of following the heart. My heart wanted to buy a bus. And so I moved into a bus that May. And I drove across the Rockies to see Kim in Calgary. And on the way home, I went through the Crow's Nest Pass. And as I went through the mountains, they're quite like ominous there, you know, like, oh, and I remember like just this feeling like almost like they were taunting me, like daring me to run them. And I was like, oh, I must come back. And so when I saw the race was there, that's why I picked that one. And, um, it was just stunning. I knew I wanted to run through that area. Yeah. So it was by feel for sure. Mm. I'm intrigued by this going off feel. So did you go by feel in your training 
like compare and contrast for us, like maybe 10 years ago, how you used to train for ultras compared to how you trained going into Sin 7? Mm, thanks for asking that because that's been a big 180. I mean, I've always coached for so long that I have a real intuitive baseline foundation, right? You know, I have the science in there. I know the progressions. I've studied, studied periodization and current literature and, you know, as a kinesiologist, et cetera. And so my common knowledge is, you know, includes a lot of data. But I also did stick to my plans. You know, I, I sell 50K and 100K plans and the foundations are really effective and tried and true and they're, they're safe and they're progressive and the results are, are really high, right? Success rate. So I would often stick to that same formula, but play with the mileage, you know, and play with different mm -hmm. variables. So fast forward to COVID and I was going through what we could say is a dark night of the soul. And I just, well, yeah, I had some really hard times like a lot of people did during that, that phase. And I just ran for my joy and, you know, none of us had races. So a lot of people maybe switched to different things. It got pretty exciting for a lot of people. Um, but I went to just connect with nature and elevate my spirit, you know, build my shine and stay healthy and so I'll never forget when I switched to the intuitive journey it was just after I talked to you guys in November I put my watch away and I didn't use a watch for two years mm -hmm. and so that's how I developed that's where I first developed intuition was running because there was no stakes there's no it's not like a big thing in your life where you're switching jobs or making those big you know what seemed really you know, meaningful decisions. That's why I like to think of running or sport as a really fun arena to practice these skills. Mm -hmm. And so for my type of intuition, and we all feel things differently, like some people will hear, you might hear little words like say, oh, go left or go right at a trail. Um, for me, I really feel it. So one example would be Rather than planning the route out, I would get to the intersection. I, my brain would want to try to decide in advance, but that's how I knew it was the mind. So I'd refuse that and I'd wait till I got to the fork and I'd tune inwards and it became a feeling. So it's an actual physical feeling sense, a kinesthetic sense. We all have it. Yeah. Some of us um, you know, are more attuned to it, but really it's just paying attention to it to notice that it's there. And you'll get a hit, but you'll the mind may second guess it. But if you do it in a fun, like no risk environment, then you can learn to strengthen it. And so I would feel left or right. And the other skill that came on that I realized is there is a, a almost a, a vision element to that where one trail looks more uh, enticing or exciting or enjoyable or almost like not sparkly, but to you, like more energetic, like that looks mm -hmm. more fun, really. Mm -hmm. And so that can be another way, but combining it with your knowing sense. So they're real physical senses that, you know, I believe we're born with that we lose, you know, because of school system. It's a part of imagination as well. Yeah. And so I'm a real feeler. And by doing this full time for over two years, it's just, yeah, become part of every element of my life. So I definitely use that for training. And my training went wild, like way beyond what I thought it would. Like the peaks and valleys were no longer in the spreadsheet. They were based on the energetics and some bigger picture that my subconscious knew because the subconscious 
is a collection of way more information than that conscious level mind has. It's a huge database. It's constantly making calculations and predictions based on way more than we can hold in our, you know, our, our memory. And so I would, I surrendered to trusting that, knowing what my goal was, kind of load that in the GPS of the subconscious saying, yeah, this is my goal, program in the coordinates and trust the body to communicate what the subconscious wisdom is to make those decisions. And so you got, you know, it was a bit of a gamble, huge gamble, but I wanted to find out how it would work and is really fun for me to do these kind of experiments. So yeah, learned a lot. So you know, someone who's listening to this and somebody who observed you, especially in this pre-Sin 7 period, for example, you, you've you coached me my entire ultra running career. I'm used to the spreadsheets. I'm used to the plan. Yes, it starts out with a recipe, eventually you become more chef. You can, you know, throw ingredients in or take them out as needed. However, pre-Sin 7, I remember you coming and doing the last final weeks of, quote, training. It was really tapering at my house. And you commented how, hmm, I haven't actually ran this far in a while. And today, let's just hike. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, the race is coming up in two weeks. What do you mean we're just going to hike? And and you were really, really mellow and, like, like solid and... And just in the flow. And then you went forward and knocked out this amazing 100-mile race. And I know I only saw a little glimpse of that in the end. But it was it was the most relaxed I'd ever seen you pre-race. It's the most relaxed I've ever seen anyone pre-race in the taper period. When most people are going through the taper tantrums of, you know, self-doubt. And, you know, oh, I need to be running more. And, you know, I need to make sure I hit this target. So not only was your training very different in that period up to Sinister 7, but I had a firsthand front seat witness to how differently you ran that race than anything I've ever experienced or witnessed in my ultra running career. You executed a 100-mile race completely on intuition. You finished like one of the top females in that race overall. So... What does running a hundred miler based on intuition look like to you? <laughs> well, every, like, that's kind of a loaded question because intuition is based on presence and this moment is so individual and unique. So it completely depends on the situation. And that's what I think it is, is being fully present to the guidance in that moment. So it's not predictable. But again, there has to be some, in my opinion, some sort of vision, some goal, some purpose. How does the subconscious know what, what guidance to give you if, you if you don't have an outcome or a bearing set? And so for that race, my goal was to, and this is very personal, was to run in a state of ease. Mm. And so I wanted to experience pleasure and ease. And I was rewiring my physiology because of recovering from trauma and PTSD to experience ease, more ease and more pleasure. And so, of course, I wanted to finish. But my priority wasn't placing, and my priority wasn't even finishing. I wanted to retrain my nervous system to not be stressed out in a race environment. And I was, it was challenging for the ego mind, especially as a coach. Oh, well, there's a, there's a risk you're not going to finish. My, my health and rewiring that nervous system took priority. And so... 
and I did finish and it was great, but it, it was, it blew my mind. Like having that compass, I kept being able to check back in if the mind started getting unsettled or worried or stressed. No, we're reassociating pleasure, joy, enjoyment. You know, a lot of us were coming off of really stressful times. Like a lot of people I know just, just from what anything that happened, regardless of the variables, developed anxiety, all sorts of sleep disorders. Like since COVID, like so many things happened. A lot of us were operating on higher levels of stress. And so for me to reassociate this pleasure, you know, in my life running without any anxiety or stress or worry or um, conditions of my worthiness, any of that stuff, it was it was a worthwhile experiment. It was beautiful and it, and it worked out. So I felt so great. I was so relaxed and I do believe that is why get ready for this. It's the first time ever in over 10 years, I didn't have the HB in an ultra, the heartburn. I finally kicked it. Okay. So for those of you that know Sarah, I think you mentioned this on the last podcast that you recorded with us. The HB, the heartburn, has been <laughs> your nemesis and a character in every race report you've pretty much ever written beyond 50K um, ever. So tell us a little bit about the history of the heartburn and why this is actually such a significant thing for you. So painful. If you're listening out there or if either you ladies know about the heartburn I never had it in my normal life normal life but I never had it in training you know I could go out and do an 18 19 hour FKT no heartburn it would only show so psychosomatic you know it's a subconscious program whatever you know the reason is it was my nemesis because I'd be going along and then the pain is unthinkable you can't swallow you or you know you can't eat I couldn't run because the jostling would just make it worse. And I used to have a phobia of vomiting. So then that compounded. And so I'd have to walk and then I'd have the sob like, oh, I'm not going to finish. And and then I'd always rally after like five hours, but I would lose so much time. You know, I'd have to walk for like 20K or more. And I tried everything, but then um, I do believe it was it was related to a baseline level of anxiety mm-hmm. that would get accelerated by the you know conditioned response. It had happened before. So then the brain wants to think it's going to happen again. Mm-hmm. And then I had treated the barfophobia, I'll call it with hypnosis. And that worked. I remember getting over that and just having a barf at lost souls and realizing that wasn't a big deal because phobias are so they're not funny, but they are funny. Like once they're gone, you're like, Oh, what was the big deal about that? Yeah. And, but then before this race, I used hypnosis for the actual, um, heartburn and, and staying in a state of ease. And so it, it all helped and it was worth it. And I also drank cacao and I, instead of, I didn't consume any chewable foods, I only had the gels uh, that they had there and water. And then I drank cacao, which is like, um, yeah, higher in fat. And yeah, I absolutely, I only had liquids. First time I've ever done a race like that. 28 hours or something. Yeah. A lot of different things. Wow. So you're talking about some of the... I guess the differences and, and the the tools that you used to get yourself through this race. But I think I really appreciate what 
you're saying is that if you can kind of keep your stress low, then you're not compounding like, oh my gosh, I'm what, what's going to happen if I get the heartburn? What's going to happen if I throw up? Like then it, the mind is consumed with that and you're almost like manifesting it in a way, I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have tools to work through some of that uh, during the race, um, whether that's hypnosis, like you said, or, or the cacao, or you mentioned earlier breath work, like I'm kind of fascinated. That sounds like I've heard that in a lot of different places. I don't know if it's like a buzzword now and, and what that all entails breath work, but maybe you could talk about some of, um, you know, on that nitty gritty practical level, some of what you actually did during the race. I'd love to. Yeah. Cause the sky's the limit. You know, once we start experimenting and playing with things that light us up or interest us and excite us and be willing to like, you know, lose a little, like, you know, we're learning, we can find things And that's what I believe the key is, is it's so individual. So if there's something I say that like sparks you or sparks someone, then follow that. And then who knows where that's going to lead you. And it's completely different in any given day, in any given race as well. And that's the beauty of surrendering to intuition. So I took a bunch of things with me, Kim Kim will attest to, and I asked her if she would make my cacao. So that's- I was doing, and I- Okay, side note, that's the hardest crewing I've ever done in my life. Because- had no freaking clue what this woman was going to want when she came into the aid station. It was like, well, I have these 17 things and I'll know when I come in what I want. And oh, it was, it was liberating and it was frustrating at the same time because I, I just had to trust that what she said was going to be the right thing. So anyhow, go ahead, Sarah. Yes. I wasn't wearing a watch either yet at that time. Was I? I don't think I no, you had no watch on. You had no clue how much time you had, where you were in the race. It was great as far as that goes. But um, yeah, you, you came in and were like, yeah, I want to sniff this essential oil now. I think this is good. So okay. yeah, tell us about all the things that you okay. use. So yeah, I was, I'm always experimenting, but I had a bunch of things that I knew worked for me. One of them is I use essential oils a lot to elevate my mood. So I've created conditioned responses. It's really powerful in meditation or hypnosis. You know, if anyone is curious or wants to ask me more, you know, I'm going to start doing some more blogs and posts about it because there's a lot of misconceptions, but hypnosis is something we can all do to our, you know, on ourselves. And it just gets us in a focused state where then we can accept and offer ourselves suggestions for things we want more of in our life. So basically I would add essential oils because the smell is such a powerful scent or powerful sense that I would associate feelings of say being refreshed. And some of the oils do that too. You imagine peppermint or eucalyptus, right? Can really wake you up without having to have caffeine and or adding it complementing it to something you use so I used the oils to affect my mood so I'd already created um, preconditioned responses to them Mm -hmm. and you also know like lavender helps you relax lemon is really fresh like there's just some intuitive Mm -hmm. ones and then I asked Kim I wanted to try cacao so what happened was I discovered cacao in one of my personal growth and business courses um, the year before and it really changed my life. It's a, it's a traditional ceremonial plant that comes from Mesoamerica. And it's used for focus, meditation, and opening the heart is the theory. But it's loaded. Well, not the theory. It actually works. I have experienced it. 
um, but because it's loaded with compounds that, that produce that bliss feeling, you know, so mm-hmm. it's uh, uh, anandamide and it's theobromine cacao and it's got, you know, releases serotonin and, and uh, gives you that connected, um, hopeful, positive, at ease feeling. And I've been using it in my meditations to help me focus and almost like as a ritual, you know, when you have even a cup of coffee and you drop into your journaling, something about that hot drink helps. Yeah. Then you have the compounds of the plant that assist as well. Um, plus, it's super high in fat. So I ended up using it to do a lot of fat adapted training, which my intuition guided me to do. I was super surprised. I'd never done that. And so for sure, I was going to bring the plant in the race because I had used it a lot. And I thought it would just give me comfort, honestly, because I, I, it's a very comforting ritual for me, like someone would have with a cup of tea, you know, in the afternoon. But it actually sustained me. Like, it was great. It gives you that, you know, steady energy because it does have more fat and you don't get the spikes of caffeine because of the other compounds. It's the whole plant versus just chocolate, which is, you know, um, changed and things are removed. Mm-hmm. So we had that. Um, I'm always doing mindfulness meditation. So becoming the compassionate witness, like you said, Carolyn, about speaking gently to the ego. Mm-hmm. So I would let my ego voice its concerns and hold space for it as if you're letting a child or being a compassionate witness. And they usually move on, the, the, mm-hmm. the hissy fits, right? There's just energy in motion. And everything wants to be seen. And so that was a fun practice. You've got hours out there. you got time to witness yourself, right? right. Versus beating yourself up. Um, and then, um, whoa, what else was out there? Yes, I do some breathing. So moving energy, the type of pranayama I teach and practice, it comes from uh, Kriya, which actually comes from Tantra. And so removing the sexual component, which people think of when they think of Tantra, it's really moving energy. And so we combine visualization with the breath work as if we're moving energy through the, if you are familiar with the chakra system here through yoga, through different places in the body. So you might feel when you become attuned to what each chakra represents, you know where to focus your energy. So if it's digestive, that might be the sacral chakra. If it's, um, you know, a fear that might be the root chakra, and then you can use your mind, it gives your mind something to do, which is very powerful. Uh, You can use your mind to like focus in that area, send love and compassion, move the energy, use your breath. You know, even if, if you're not familiar with what these um, different areas do, or can potentially do through the study of yoga, giving your mind something to do is like, one of the most powerful meditative and, and, you know, tools when it comes Mm -hmm. to anything, especially when you're out there that long, because when the mind doesn't have a job to do, you're, you're going downhill fast. You're going to be chasing its tail around in circles, you know, it's trying to eat itself. Like it's like, it's, you know, it's a battle. So if you give it a job, it's chills out. And so a lot of those things, and then appreciation, if you're ever going downhill, you know, the power of vitamin G gratitude start like practicing appreciation that opens your heart. Um, There's a lot of really beautiful, gentle techniques we can use that are the antithesis of the, you know, go hard or go home. And it's my opinion that when we do get into that more lighthearted, compassionate, open, caring state of being, we're actually liberating energy. And we actually can accomplish more with a lower heart rate, so to speak, or less, Mm -hmm. you know, work Mm -hmm. output versus 
the old way of just pushing harder. And I'm really finding that now on the other side of that race because that was done very gently. And now I'm applying those same principles to speed work, hill training, higher intensity Mm -hmm. stuff. And it's really getting fun. Well, on that note, so you've come a long ways in the last two and a half years. You've completely shifted the paradigm with which you train and race. What's happening now? Like what, what's on the radar for you right now? Are you still racing? And what do you, what's happening? So much fun. Okay. Well, I, I moved out of the bus. So the bus era <laughs> has just ended. I'm just washing him today, getting ready to sell. The, I say him because his name is Gus the bus. Um, and I'm scheming and dreaming of returning or planning some of my retreats again, because before COVID, I was taking athletes and individuals and groups around the world for different adventures. So I'm scheming and researching those. I was in Africa researching the ones we're going to do around Kilimanjaro. And, um, yeah, I'm just really excited about that. So that'll be coming soon. I've um, started doing some road races. So I finally did road races for the first time ever, Carolyn. No. Yes. So January, I did the Island Race Series because I, right? Like my brain would have never chosen to do that because I'm, you know, I don't want to say I'm anti-road running, but I'm a lover of nature, of being in the woods. But I loaded the program for my race this year, Black Spur. I'm doing the 100K, no 100 miles this year. And I told my subconscious what my goal was, my vision. And I asked, I just asked, what's, you know, what's the best way to reach this goal? And right away, it was like, do as many races as you can. So after a couple of years of just doing those 200 milers and very slow running, it was time for me to rebuild that speed and that agility and push hard off the earth and let it push me. And it was a hoot. I finished the Island Series now, but it was for me, totally entertaining watching my body try to run fast on pavement. <laughs> it just cracked me up. Like nothing would happen at first. Like my legs just wouldn't go or I would go hard for a K. So at the start of the race, you know, I, I okay, what am I working on? I would never try to do the whole thing. Like there were eight to 12 K races. Like I hadn't done anything less than a hundred yeah. miles in two years for the, for the races. <laughs> And so I would pick like a target, like, oh, stay with the front runner for as long as you can to get it interval. I was doing it for intervals, right? Yeah. Yep. Or do a 20 minute zone three or uh, threshold in the middle or finish the last 4K as fast as you can. So right. it was fun. I built up to be able to do more and more speed over the, the distance. And now it's time okay. for the hills. The trail series is beginning. And I've got a couple, like 25, 50K, and then the, the peak for me this year will be the Blacks, Blacksburg, yeah. Yay. And Kimberly. Okay, so that's awesome. It's going to be exciting. You and I are going to be there together in Kimberly again yeah. this fall. Um, and we'll see what happens as you've been also been mentoring me and running more intuitively. So we'll just see where that goes. Um where can people find you, Sarah, to follow along? I know that you have some social media. You've been starting to expand your business in different ways. Where can you direct people to find out what you're up to now? Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks, Kim. Wildseeds.com. So I'm going to be moving all my offerings there. And soon I'll be opening a school, Academy of Mind Body Health. So different programs and courses to assist with that mindfulness and that 
centering and and maybe reconnecting to your intuition and different um, alternative, maybe older techniques that meet newer, you know, science-based techniques. And the, well, I've got all my run mind body training plans on training peaks. So if anyone's interested in mental training, I've got hypnosis recordings um, included in those. So you do your 50 K, but there's also uh, mental training and hypnosis and mindfulness called the mind games. So different practices. So anyone who's keen on that can find those on training peaks. But the first um, mind-body health course at Wild Seeds will be on pranayama. So it will be the techniques that I use for centering, for clearing the mind, and being able to start tapping into that unlimited wisdom and assisting your body in its healing and, and growth as well. And Instagram's always fun, starting to return to making lots of fun reels. So if you want to follow along in adventures, Hopefully I'll be running soon in Europe. I'm heading there in May. So I'd like to share the places that I go so you can follow along there too. And that's uh, your handle is at Wild Seeds, correct? And it's S-E-A-D-S. All right. So I can personally attest to Sarah's training peaks plans are the most robust training plans you will ever find. It is not just run this long at this pace click. Yes. She has audio recordings, meditations, different different tips and tricks and tools to um, support you mentally as well as physically. And they all download to your watch and it's just too easy. You can't get away from the training plan if you, even if you want to sometimes. It's just slick as silk. So um, beyond the physical training plans, like, like she just said, there are... Um, um, some some different meditation and mental training tools that you can access mm-hmm. on your site. So go check them out because for those of you that have been training for years and years and years and have just hit a wall and figure there's got to be something more, this might be that something more to disturb your training into the next level. So mm-hmm. thank mm-hmm. you. And what a fascinating story this is. And I'm um, intrigued to think that this is something that you can pass on to others right? Like all of this experimenting that you've done on on yourself and of course the combined with the training that you have in in all different areas that um, maybe you could quickly share one or two stories that might stand out from somebody that you've worked with that's also had success. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it always blows my mind when I watch my my clients um, just like have these huge aha moments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of my favorite, you know, without getting too specific, but favorite experiences is when someone takes the teachings and, and I always encourage, you know, my greatest gift is to see a client return with their own variation of it. Yeah. That worked for them because Uh again, we're so individual and I give free reign to like, make it your own. This might happen, or you might see this or something even better. Like, you know, for these, these traditional pranayama, these breathing techniques where we're moving energy, well, maybe you see something different or you're inspired to move energy a different way or use a different affirmation or maybe you don't see Danny DeVito on the it, blow up. Oh my God. <laughs> I, still, I can't believe I told you guys that. Yeah. So, but, but when I share those things, it gives people like, oh, wait a minute, I right. can be as weird as I want. Cause if, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. if it's personal and it resonates with me, that means yeah. that's a direct line of communication to your subconscious right. versus what I'm telling you to do. Right. And so those are the things that give me the best high is when someone comes back and tells me what they did, like, oh, this just happened the other day. Someone had done a half marathon, um, a previous client, and 
and we had touched base in advance. And, and I told the Danny DeVito story actually. And um, she came back and told me what she had done with her ego during, during the, the race and kept the ego at bay. And nice. I think that's the first step is knowing that it's part of you, but it's, it's, it's not who you really are. You can watch yeah. it. You can witness it. You can play games with it. You can practice compassion. Um, but that's, I think my favorite is when people invent their own little games yeah. and you might be doing it right now, but by shifting your awareness to that and making a conscious choice, you know, setting the intention of having compassion for the, the whiny you, or you can name the parts of you, the Danny DeVito you, um, <laughs> at least then you're aware of it and, and you can start noticing when these little flags pop up yeah. and maybe that eagle will eventually just wave the white flag and let you and from your internal wisdom from the heart lead. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for sharing some of your wisdom, your intuition, your journey, really, that the last two and a half years have been a wild ride for you, I know, and it's not over. Um, can't wait to see what comes next in your year of theme. I'm wondering what 2023 is going to end up being. But um, yeah, thank you for, for coming on the show. It's been great to chat with you. Mm, my absolute pleasure. Great to see you guys. Thank you so much. <laughs>